Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader uh, here at the Turning Point. We're here every Monday at 4 p.m., and uh, that's Eastern Time. And there are podcasts available that you can tune in later. Like you should tune in later right now if you're listening to this. <laughs> I can't keep track of all these things. But uh, here we are at the Turning Point. And um, Maybe the turning point has... Oh, let me remind you before we start today. We have a guest. And uh, once again, if you want to comment on anything you hear on this program, uh, if you want to tell me you disagree or agree or you want more information about something, just go to my website, <coughs> FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, and um, you will 
see a way to join my mailing list and to contact me. Also, see the latest blog entry I have on there, which is a kind of a nine, eight or nine page, not as long as it sounds, kind of funny but uh, irritated rant on the advent of cell phones and the loss of privacy in public, Um, especially the hands-free people. The hands-free people are the one driving me nuts. Uh, back to our subject here. Now, the name of the show is The Turning Point. Well, maybe we've reached the tipping point and the turning point for Mr. Sanders, poor Bernie Sanders. And um, I want to take a, get sort of an update, like, you know, sort of a reality check and uh, a check in with one of my uh, favorite uh, guests and experts on politics. Les Leopold is with us to see where we're at with this race, mostly with the Democrats and maybe a little bit with the Republicans and what we can expect to see coming. Hi, Les. Hello, Mike. How are you? Okay, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Thank you. You've been traveling, right? Yeah, I've been, I've been promoting uh, my book, Runaway Inequality, and uh, getting a lot of invites around the country. It's been actually... Uh, very heartening on that front. Uh, well, you, you sort of gotta, figuring out what's going to happen after November. Yeah, after November, uh, starting in January. Was it January twentieth or twenty? <laughs> um, uh, let me give people a little bit more of your background here. And uh, I know a lot of people know who you are already, but for those who are new to the program, Les Leopold, who we are talking to, co-founded and currently directs two nonprofit educational organizations, the Labor Institute and the Public Health Institute. He designs research and educational programs on occupational safety and health, the environment and economics. And he is the author of Runaway Inequality, An Activist's Guide to Economic Justice and How to Make a Million Dollars an Hour, Why Financial Elites Get Away with Siphoning Off America's Wealth. So, um, where are we now? Has, has with last, uh, with, with Indiana, and even though there's some, you know, big primaries or one or two big primaries left, is he officially out of it now? Is that it for Bernie? No, he's not officially out of it. You know, the odds are long, but uh, until it's over, it's not over. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's too many things that could happen. Um, I'm still trying to help. Uh, progressives, quote unquote, who support Hillary to understand that Bernie is the far stronger candidate. Just objectively speaking, he matches up much better against Trump than Hillary does. Uh, uh, and I'm still puzzled why uh, Hillary supporters don't get that. Now it's you know it's possible between now and the convention. Not only can Bernie win a few more primaries, but you don't know what'll you know maybe. The investigation of Hillary hits a crescendo, and, uh, or some revelation comes out, or maybe her Wall Street speech transcripts get leaked out, and we see how much of a sycophant she is for uh, Wall Street's uh, ways. Uh, you know, there, there, there are things that can happen. Although, you know, it's they're they're a tough gang, the Clintons, and they're not going to uh, mm-hmm. they're not going to you know give up. Uh, but Sanders is just a stronger candidate against Trump. Now that Trump is in there, you can just see on a, any number of issues uh, where she's weak and he's strong. Uh, you know, his, his character, uh, uh, Sanders' character is just solid. Mm-hmm. You know, his integrity, he reeks from integrity. As somewhat, I read somewhat 
Well, that, uh, I can't remember that's who a funny way to put it, Ben. Well, it, 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 I, it was even a funnier way. Sanders is the kind of guy that when he gets the check at a restaurant, mm -hmm. he adds it up to make sure that he's not cheating the restaurant. That's well, what he's like. But um, um, since Hillary owns the restaurant, that wouldn't be a problem for her. So, uh, now, when you say something could happen with her, um, it seems to me that you mentioned this before, that so many uh, progressive or liberal or whoever, Democratic voters, don't get the fact that Sanders would be the stronger candidate. I really don't think there is anything that, considering that the, uh, the opposition is Mr. Trump, I, what could there possibly be? That would. I'm. Mean, what if the Wall Street transcripts did come out? It's always possible they'll come out. Although, God knows how many uh, how many people have gone missing, or how much money has been has been paid out to keep these things from being, you know. But they could come out. It's the you know it's the modern age, the internet, and everything leaks. But what if they did come out and she said, you know, you're my con you know, Remember what uh, uh, Bush said to a bunch of rich people once. You know, people say. Uh, whatever, you know, you're the elite, but mm -hmm. I say you're my base. What if she says something so outrageous? Would it make any difference, really, to the people who... It might. Yeah. It might. It might. Uh, the calculation, then, would be with the superdelegates. I mean, she doesn't have a majority of regular delegates yet. She doesn't have it locked up. Right. And the superdelegates, everybody wants to win, right? Uh, and in terms of the, the Democratic elites. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it... If, if, she, if it looks like she's a loser, if her poll numbers, if her poll numbers crash due to whatever, you know, uh, uh, a whole bunch of things could happen. Another scandal with her husband, something bad with the, with the Clinton Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, uh, investigation, you know, uh, with the FBI, the transcripts, ill health, which I don't wish on anybody. No. You know, things can happen. Uh, uh, so that's why, you know, you don't write these things off until uh, it's actually over. Uh, but I, I think what's going on here, Mike, is that um, there's an assault going on the, against the neoliberal establishment. And, and what I mean by that is that's both parties who have kind of colluded in this uh, uh, framework that says, you know, you're supposed to cut taxes and cut regulations and cut government spending – both parties have been doing that for 50 years, and it's led to this outrageous runaway inequality. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, t Trump's people are attacking it from one direction. Bernie's attacking it from another, another direction. And Hillary's squarely in, uh, in that neoliberal establishment. It includes, you know, the, these uh, trade deals, these corporate-oriented trade deals. Uh, it, you know, it basically includes sucking up to Wall Street, mm -hmm. which both parties did with you know, uh, with a vengeance, competing for their money. You know, uh, President Obama got more money from Wall Street than any other candidate ever before. Hillary's right when she says he did it too when Bernie's attacking her. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, people are fed up with that, and uh, uh, that's how you know that fed upness led to, uh, I think, Trump's victory, and uh, it could have led or uh, to Sanders' his victory. But clearly that, is, that neoliberal consensus has now crashed. Uh, and uh, the people who are hanging on to Hillary are the ones that don't see it. I mean, the progress, they, they don't see how much a part of that neoliberal framework she really is. I mean, if you look at her economic program, it's all about uh, 
public-private partnerships, giving more tax breaks to corporations so they do the right thing, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Nowhere does she ever say, you know what, we have to create more jobs for unemployed youth because that's the real alternative to prisons, and that means we have to spend uh, more money uh, by taxing Wall Street, et cetera, and hire people uh, and put them in the public sector because the private sector won't do it. She'll never say that. Uh, almost no politician will say that because that neoliberal consensus against government is so strong and so deep. It's a disaster. It's Sanders not, is not afraid of that. It's he'll, not say, just, he'll say what needs to be done. It's not just a domestic policy either. I mean, you, the, no. your recent article, or uh, a recent article by you on Huffington Post, and you're getting a lot of hits on Huffington Post now, right? you got a pretty <laughs> popular blog on there. Well, I get, I get, I, they're, they're, they're good to me. Yeah. I think, uh, they give me a, a, a lot of room. But, yeah, it, I mean, you, that you, includes, the, you know, the, 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 the perpetual war policies that we right, have. Right. Uh, and, see, Sanders and Trump are questioning, you know, uh, Trump feebly says he's now against Iraq. Sanders really was all the way against all the U.S. interventions, virtually all of them, because mm-hmm. he recognizes that they're, they're, that they're, they're a disaster. They always lead... Uh, uh, bad things happen when the U.S. tries to play policeman of the world and to prop up basically this neoliberal order. Uh, so Sanders is, is, is pure in his attacks on this. And, uh, uh, and Trump, in his kind of feeble way, is, is, doing this, is doing the same thing. Sanders is stronger. See, Hillary is defending the status quo. So she can't, you know, uh, besides her own checkered past, she can't really... Uh, defend herself on Iraq. She can't defend herself on uh, 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 the integrity question. Mm-hmm. She she's just a lot weaker than Sanders on the things that Trump is going to, uh, you know, that got Trump to where he is. Because she's part of that establishment. I'm afraid too many of her supporters uh, are, uh, you know, have bought into that model. But well, but why have they bought into it? I mean, the, uh, is that just the way American culture is and political culture? They see Sanders has been labeled as a raving socialist or whatever, and she is she's the effective one. She has the experience on a national level. I mean, what is it? What is it that convinces people? And in one of your articles here, which was uh, one of the posts on Huffington Post, was would Hillary overthrow a government run by Bernie? Which is <laughs> absolutely fascinating and funny. In a horrible way, uh, but while she was um, while she was a Secretary of State, she basically colluded um, by omission and commission uh, in um, the destruction uh, or you know uh, maintaining um, a horrible position in Honduras for the United States. Right. Well, look, she's a neocon. She believes in regime change. She believes the United States has the right to just go into a country and flip the government out, mm-hmm. uh, either overtly, covertly, by omission, by commission. I mean, Libya, Syria, Iraq. I mean, that, that's her policy. She's, she's, she's to the right of Obama by a fair margin on these issues. And Bernie, of course, is a non-interventionist. Uh, and uh, who knows what Trump is, but he claims, he claims to be. Yeah, uh, yeah I, what I think, they're, they're, first of all, Let's look at the people under 30. This is what's heartening. I, you know, uh, yeah. you and I, who can easily in our, our old age here, you know, uh, uh, get cynical about the world. People under 30 don't buy, uh, don't buy Hillary's act and are for uh, Sanders by large numbers. A majority of African-American uh, kids under 30 
are uh, for Sanders. Majority of Latinos, Asian Americans, and whites. The whole crew uh, is strongly for uh, uh, Sanders. So they're not. They've been screwed by the neoliberal model. They're the ones saddled up with enormous amounts of debt. They're not. They're the ones who are, are finding you know crummy jobs. Uh, they and they want that vision that Sanders puts puts forth. Instead of saying, oh, we can't, it's a riot, you know, she says, oh, you can't do free higher education because of this and that, mm-hmm. although all of Europe has it. You know, we can't do, you know, universal health care the way Sanders wants. All, you know, all of Europe has it. Somehow these other countries can figure it out, and we can't. It's just garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, why, so why do people buy into this neoliberal model? Why do First they, of yeah? All, yeah, okay, this, 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 that's a complex question, and the answer is kind of, uh, uh, takes us in various directions. First of all, the people who buy into it the most are the ones who are benefiting from it. So if you are a commentator, you're doing well. You're in the top 1%, 2% of the country. If you're, if you're on TV uh, or if you're writing columns for the big paper, New York Times, etc., mm-hmm. you're doing well. So the world looks pretty good to you. Yes, you can complain. You can be a little bit more liberal like uh, Krugman. But basically, you know, you're... He got the Nobel Prize. You're doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. So un- uh, uh, runaway inequality doesn't pinch you every day. You're not trying to figure out how you're going to raise kids on twenty thousand dollars a year, or thirty, or forty, or fifty. You know, you've got two fifty, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand a year, or, mi- or millions if you're or on millions. MSNBC. Yeah. Right. So you have you have this. Uh, uh, you know, you're in a different world. That that's number one. Number two, even. Uh, in the African-American community, the Clintons have built quite a machine. Uh, they've spent years cultivating it. And there is room in the neoliberal uh, establishment for people of color. I mean, as long as the, the hierarchy is not overthrown, it's okay to have people of color in the higher positions. So, for example, uh, the gentrification isn't all done by white people. They're black developers mm-hmm. all over the country. You know, uh, uh, the people who are getting, you know, the large grants from the Clinton Foundation and other foundations, the ministers, the, the community leaders, they're doing okay also. You know, they're not living in, in the crime-ridden neighborhoods. They're not, you know, suffering from uh, a 50% jobless rate. They're part of the machine. So you, there's room. When she talks about, you know, uh, when people say, well, Hillary's, you know, uh, good at bringing in, uh, uh, you know, more women, more minorities. Yes, yeah, she is, but she's not going to change the hierarchy. She's going to put them in the hierarchy, and that's been going on for the last uh, 30 years. The idea of a, a, a fairer economy, you know, just because you're a person of color doesn't automatically, if you're in a high position, doesn't automatically believe, you know, you don't automatically become a progressive you're not calling for, re- you don't want your income redistributed. You've worked hard to get there. You're now part right. of the corporate hierarchy or the political hierarchy, and you intend to stay there. But, that's, isn't, so, that, uh, but isn't that part of the uh, um, American culture from the very beginning? I mean, people want to make it, they want to get rich, and they want to be, uh, you know, uh, and they want to hang on to their money. I mean, well, you know, there's nothing new about well, there's that. A, there, right? there, there's, there's several traditions in America. Uh, you know, we have a communitarian tradition as well. And, and we have a sense of fairness. So, for example, there's some, uh, this is part of my workshop that I do when I go around the country. If you ask the American people what they think the wage gap is between the top, the top, the large corporations and the average worker, they will say it's something like 40 to 1. Mm-hmm. You know what it actually is? 844 to 1. They think it's 40 to 1. It's 844 to 1. So there's a misunderstanding about how 
uh, people haven't caught up to how bad inequality uh, is. Here's another one. When you ask a, a Republican, someone who identifies himself as a strong Republican, what they want the wage gap to be, what they think is fair, comes out to be 12 to 1. Huh. Strong Democrat, 5 to 1. Uh, overall, about 7 to 1. It's 844 to 1. So I think there still is a sense of justice. Yeah, people want to get ahead uh, and uh, want to do well. But, by, but this level of inequality we have is so outrageous, and it's, it, 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 it's unprecedented, mm-hmm. and it's heading in the wrong direction. You know, Bernie's right when he says since the crash of 2007, 95% of all the new income created during this little uh, growth that we've had, 95% of that income has gone to the top 1%. The rest of us are sharing only 5% of the growth. 99% are sharing this little sliver of the pie. So this kind of stuff is outrageous. I think the American people have a sense of justice, and Bernie is tapping it. The younger you are, the less likely you, you, you are to be, be part of that neoliberal establishment or listen to people who are part of it. I think what you said earlier, and this is what you just said this minute, about the, the people who are part of the establishment, <clears throat> you have to count uh, 90% of the major media. Uh, oh, uh, more. You know, yeah. I mean, of course, there are, are you know plenty of websites that have hundreds of thousands. Maybe uh, if you add them all up, maybe a couple of million uh, people who check into them all the time. Uh, there are places like Alternet and other places, uh, and then there are blogs on Huffington Post. Yes, people read these things, but most people get their information from still like the old farts. You know, get like me get their information from. God help us, the New York Times, which is basically, uh, it seems to me that uh, they are um, going to work in the morning and knocking off in the afternoon and going over to Clinton headquarters to get their instructions on what to write. It's, uh, I've never seen anything so shameful and ridiculous in my well, life. Def- yeah, well, the, uh, but, but people they, they are hearing, definitely are part of it. But people are hearing from all these people, and um, uh, this, they, they're getting barrage night and day by these people who they listen to to get their news on uh, networks and cable stations and, 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 and every place like this in the New York Times. So they're, they're barraged by this stuff. Um, the only way they can get information is from alternative radio stations, alternative websites, alternative, alternative, alternative. What is there any other way that, uh, and Brent, there's no other way. How do you get into and almost like have a coup to take over one of these places, you know, to give people information they don't have. What you're talking about is that people don't know. You keep saying people don't know. Well, how are they going to know? Well, I think, I think it's permeating out there. It, the, first of all, by someone like Sanders running for president. That was a great educa- that's a great educational experience for all of us. I mean, look, I wrote this book. The proposals at the end of it are almost identical to Sanders. I had no idea he was running. None. Zero. His, his, his financial speculation tax to pay for free Irish education, I wrote about that seven years ago. It's in the book. But he, he came out of nowhere. And when he started to run, I thought, oh, no, this isn't going to go anywhere. But now here's a guy, a self-declared socialist. He's, he's got closer to being a nominee of a major party than any, any other left person in the history of the United States. So that tells me something is going on out there. Something big. This is a phenomena that uh, I can't get. I, uh, this is despite everything you just said about the media. Mm-hmm. All that, all the crap that's coming out of there, all the pro-Clinton stuff that's coming out. He still was able to penetrate and get the majority of young people and the major, uh, 70% of the independents. 
this guy could be president. And think about what that means. That that's a mind blowing uh, uh, event. It's the it it shows that neoliberalism amongst the young is over, dead, gone. It can't deliver for them. Uh, you know, uh, people on the top have got to, are 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 basically you know at the trough, and they're gobbling it all up. And the rest of the country really can't stand it anymore. Uh, some don't understand it on the right, and they're going for the Trump. For Trump, mm-hmm. but Sanders could actually be president of the United States. That's the mind blowing, uh, blowing part about this. And what what gets me is that Clinton supporters keep harking back to 1972 when Nixon blew out McGovern. They think Sanders is like McGovern, mm-hmm. and they completely miss. First of all, they're completely misreading uh, the election we ought to be looking at. McGovern was. Uh, a special case. Yes, he was an anti-work uh, candidate, uh, but that's all he was. And uh, he got rejected by the labor movement entirely. Uh, George Meany would not let any labor group in the country work for McGovern. And then there was that craziness about, you know, picking his vice president nom- uh, nominee. It was a disaster. The election to look at is 1968, when Nixon narrowly beat Humphrey. Mm-hmm. The, uh, it, the, the Sanders is not George McGovern. Sanders is a really... Sanders is more like the combination of uh, Bobby Kennedy and Gene McCarthy. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's someone that is really challenging the way the establishment operates, and the American people are into it. Uh, if he had a chance to run for president, I think he would win by a huge margin, even if he gets red-baited. Uh, oh, he, well, older, he, he would what, be. I mean, even yeah, so what? Just, Call him Red Bernie. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, the pro, people, judge him by what he's done. Judge him by what he's offering to put forward. And I think the American people are sick of the billionaire class. They want this political revolution he's talking about. They want free higher education for their kids and for themselves. They want universal health care because it's Obamacare. It's a classic neoliberal, you know, pump up the insurance, private insurance companies who are making out like bandits uh, out of Obamacare. And, you know, people like Krugman are afraid to say that for fear, you know, that it, it, will, uh, jo- it will undermine, you know, uh, the wonders of Obamacare. But it's, it's a bad program compared to what uh, uh, Medicare for All would be. So, you know, uh, Sanders' stuff is solid, rock solid. And the attacks on him are just, are, are, are just political attacks. Clinton's done a good job of it. She's also had, you know, 40 years of uh, a political machine that's behind her. But she's a weak candidate. You can see it. You can feel it. How come she can't win in an open primary where, where independents uh, run? She has trouble winning. Mm-hmm. I think she would have lost New York if independents, uh, if it was an open primary. Well, a uh, couple of questions. Um, the phrase neoliberal can you can you I mean because people use that all the time and uh, it's common. It's a weird word. We common uses, but where does that come from? I mean, yeah, what is we that? don't use it. It, 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 it. it refers back. Basically, it's you know free enterprise, wide open. Uh, it, it, it's a term that was uh, coined in the '40s by these kind of right conservative, you know, Austrian type economists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and we don't use it in the book because it's confusing. It has nothing to do with liberal in the way we use the word right. liberal now. Uh, we call it the better business climate model. And what it basically says is you cut taxes. Uh, uh, it has a theory. It goes like this. You cut taxes, especially on the wealthy. You cut regulations, get the government out of the economy, and you cut social spending so that low-income people are more willing to work as opposed to being on the dole. And that's going to lead to a profit investment boom. 
and then all boats would rise. Uh, and, and both political parties bought this. In the, in, by the end of the 1970s, both political parties bought it. The United States used this all over the world. It's called the Washington Consensus. They imposed this through the World Bank on uh, countries that ran up too many debts. They, this is what the after the, the uh, Chilean uh, uh, coup, Pinochet coup, this is the, the, the model that he went towards. Uh, that the Chicago, it came out of the University of Chicago. The Chicago School uh, promoted this. Mm-hmm. Thatcher uh, picked it up in England. Uh, it, it's gone all over the world except the North and Europe, where they've kind of hung on to their social democratic uh, origins. But the dirty little secret of this model is when you deregulate, it's one thing to deregulate Ma Bell and break it up into four or five you know, phone companies. It's another thing when you deregulate Wall Street. And when they deregulated Wall Street, it just tore the country apart. It, uh, it, it became open season to uh, basically strip mine uh, corporations, individuals, students, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wall Street went wild. All the controls that were put in place during the New Deal, virtually all of them, uh, which protected us from a crash for all those years and kept inequality uh, kind of... Uh, reasonable, not great, but reasonable, all those got thrown out the window, and as soon as it did, inequality went no, well, absolutely I, through the roof. A lot of this happened under uh, under Bill Clinton, right? And well, it starts under Carter, actually. Uh, even Ted Kennedy bought into this, uh, 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 this deregulation model. Carter yeah. started deregulating, then Reagan accelerated it big time, and then Clinton, uh, you know, with his triangulation, you know, uh, thought, oh, this is a good idea, and he he brings in Robert Rubin uh, to be a secretary treasurer, and they they go even uh, uh, from he comes from uh, 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 Goldman Sachs, and 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 they deregulate everything. They allow the biggest, well, they get rid of Glass Steagall. They make it they they make it illegal to regulate uh, derivatives, which brought you know brought the economy to a standstill in 2007. But the key result of it was more inequality. Mm-hmm. That was the result. It took money from the rest of us, you know, up until 1980, when productivity went up in the economy. That is, how much is produced per hour of labor. When that went up, so did real wages after inflation. The standard of living went up from 1947 all the way till about 1977. And then these two lines emer- uh, uh, broke apart, and productivity has continued to rise. Uh, just like it was rising from 1947 to 1977. Mm-hmm. It's, it's continued to rise, but wages have gone flattened down. And the, there's this huge gap between these two lines, which we never had in the history of the United States. Never had this before. But that's the result of, of that uh, better business climate model, the neoliberal model, the deregulation of Wall Street. That money went to the top. Other things happened as well. You know, when we stopped caring about what happened to low-income in- people, we ended up having a new. We gave up on the war on poverty, and we put him in jail. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the prison population was steady from 1910 all the way till 1980. When inequality took off, the prison population took off, and we now have the most prisoners in the entire world in absolute number and in uh, percentage. So, if somebody came from another solar system and uh, an alien came and 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 uh, they wondered. Which country is the biggest police state? They point to the United States. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have the most people in prison. How the hell will that happen? That's our war on poverty. You know, maybe, remember Eric Garner? Yes. Uh, sir. Yeah. What was he doing? What he, was he doing? He was uh, trying to make a living. Yeah, that was his war on poverty. He was selling Lucy's. Can you ma- loose cigarettes? Can you imagine 
uh, arresting someone, let alone you know, putting them in you know, uh, in handcuffs or chokehold or whatever, because the guy is selling. How much money do you think New York City and New York State lost as a result of him <laughs> not paying his cigarette tax on individual cigarettes? My God, a tax evader. Yeah. Oh, a, a tax evader. It, I mean, it, he could spend a hundred lifetimes and not evade anywhere near the taxes that are evaded by hedge funds through the carry interest loophole that they take advantage of. I mean, it's outrageous that you would arrest this guy, but that's what we did once we gave up on producing jobs and income for lower-income people. We just gave up on that, and the better business climate model was going to solve it all. And it didn't. They put it, we put him in jail. And this is what people are reacting against. They sense this somehow. It's like especially young people are sensing, you know, this is screwed up, man. This is just really screwed up. And Sanders is saying, you listen to a Sanders speech, and he comes right at it. He goes, this is screwed up. This is a corrupt, this is a rigged economy. He is absolutely right, and people know it. Uh, it's a shame, you know, uh, Hillary, I wish you'd just step, get out of the way. We'd really have something good going on. Well, I agree. Uh, where, where are the unions with, uh, with Bernie and with Hillary? That's interesting. Some unions uh, that, I, that are very transactional, in other words, they a quid pro quo, we'll support her and we'll get something good out of right. it. They jumped on her bandwagon early. The teachers did and the service employees union that's did. That's a lot of the people. That's, that's a lot of votes. Yeah, and, and they jumped on right away. They, they didn't even know Bernie was running. But the people, the unions that waited a little bit, they found it really hard to do anything but either stay neutral or support Bernie. So the, the CWA, Communication Workers of America, National Nurses United, uh, between two of them, about a million members, they supported Bernie. The steelworkers, who would have supported Hillary because of um, trade policy, they mm-hmm. need help always in the White House to help keep the manufacturing from being destroyed, although you know, her trade NAFTA is killing them. Uh, uh, and the TP, uh, TPP, and all of those trade deals have killed the steelworkers. They did not, they have not endorsed anybody. And a lot of their locals are endorsing. Uh, uh, Sanders, a lot of local unions across the country are supporting Sanders, especially ones where there are still some young workers. They're just flocking over to Sanders. They can't stand Hillary. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it, it had, had, this, had those other unions who endorsed early just waited a couple of months, their members would have run out from under them. They would not have let them support uh, uh, Hillary so easily. It's a very interesting situation. Well, um, let, let's say that... Um that uh, so Bernie, I mean everybody is uh, who who is in the establishment is counting him out, and uh, obviously there are people in the Clinton administration who knows behind the scenes. I'm not a Clinton administration. I get you know should I should I compound it, conflate the two of them? Is Bill Clinton Hillary Clinton and vice versa? And yeah, um, who knows the Clinton? Yeah, the Clinton machine is probably negotiating behind the scenes, but I doubt if there's anything they could offer him. You know uh, that would uh, be any better than what he's actually trying to do. Um, sincere- Take it all from the vice presidency. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think that. He, I, I mean, it would be very strange if he took that, and it would be very disappointing to his uh, to his followers. But um, they are calling for him in in public ways now to uh, you know to support her, to bow to bow out, and to support her, and. I can't believe that his followers would be anything but disgusted and fed up with the entire political process and probably wouldn't even turn out to vote if he withdrew. I mean, he's in it to, no matter what, right, do you think? Yeah, see, so, yeah. And, and see, that's the lesson from 1968 that I was kind of alluding to before. Humphrey 
you know, there was that chaos at the, uh, the police riot at the right. Democratic Convention. The war was going on, and Nixon sort of positioned himself as, I'll find peace. And Humphrey was still in LBJ's pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last two weeks before the election, he, came, he finally said something against the war for the first time, and his poll numbers shot up, but it was a little too... Uh, too little, too late. Well, the anti-war leaders at the time, like Tom Hayden, who now supports Hillary Clinton, he didn't say support Humphrey because he's going to be a little better than Nixon. I mean, Nixon was a, you know, a known right-wing, you know, red baiter, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, people were really alienated. I- I've been asking some of the old farts uh, who they voted for, and I'm having trouble finding. I I, I voted for Humphrey. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand Nixon. I'm having I'm having trouble finding anybody who voted for Humphrey. Uh, they all they voted independent. They didn't vote at all. I can't believe Tom Hayden voted for Humphrey. I, uh, I'd be shocked because he sure didn't right. say anything out loud. But now he, he supports too, Hillary Clinton. Why yeah. does he support Hillary Clinton? Well, God, who knows? Hmm. Uh, you know, who knows? But uh, and maybe who uh, cares at this point? I mean, you know, I, yeah, it, exactly. But the point is that uh, I think young people will only support Hillary. If Bernie and others make the case that we need to build a movement, and that movement will be better built under, uh, be better to be attacking a Hillary administration than just the fighting to kind of keep the status quo under a Trump administration. Mm -hmm. That's the argument that I'm going to make, but not now. I'm going to wait till uh, everything's said and done. But the the truth of the matter is, nothing's going to change until we build a mass movement, the kind of which was built in the 1880s when the populace built a, a beautiful uh, movement. Actually, uh, small black and white farmers came together mm-hmm. in outrage over what Wall Street was doing to them. And they, they changed the country. The whole, the whole core of the New Deal came from that populist movement. Uh, it was very interesting. You know, uh, they called for public banks. And the one bank that got uh, into existence is the Bank of North Dakota. Which, which was, actually made a profit recently, right? Not only made a profit, but it's made a profit for the last 13 years. And now everybody said it was only because of the oil boom. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's been an oil bust. They're still making a profit. Right. And the profit goes to the state of North Dakota, not, not into anybody's individual pockets. There are no stock options in that uh, uh, bank. Well, the, the, the pay gap between the president of that bank and the average worker is 7 to 1. Mm-hmm. Exactly what the American people think is fair and just. I think it's remarkable, and that happened. Nobody did a poll. They just—that's what they thought was fair and just. Uh, the president who makes two hundred fifty grand a year. It's a you know big job. Uh, average the entry worker makes thirty-five thousand, seven to one. Uh, and you know nobody. You know everybody says, oh, you can't run a, a bank. You know you have to have you have to spend millions of dollars for a CEO, or you'll run your bank into the ground. Uh, guy's done a pretty good job. Didn't lose anything during the crash. Well, so, and they know- do. Yeah, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so, so much of this seems to come down, and the, the more I listen to you, you know, um, to, uh, to describe all this and the answers to the questions, I mean, so much of it, maybe it's from my point of view because, uh, you know, I'm in the media, but so much of this comes down to how people get their information and what they're being told. You know, I mean, it, obviously, uh, Bernie's got this huge following um, based on alternative information, most of the people who are following him, you say young people are following him, they don't get there. They don't listen to the network and even cable news anymore. You know, they... they no, but they, the, the, the thing is that his, you know, he's given a lot of talks, right, to right. thousands of people, right? Uh, he's, you know, they, his liter- you know, he's got, 
you know, tens of thousands of people passing out his literature all over the country. You know, they've had paid advertisements. You know, he's, he's gotten his message across. I don't think anybody is confused about what he stands for. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so the major media can't stop that. They can attack it. They can say it's unrealistic. They can, you know, they can repeat the Hillary lines, but they can't stop the message from getting out. And, and I don't think it required alternative media. It just required, uh, uh, it required those millions of people putting up the $27 a head. Right. And, and, and that's the future. If a movement can be built that harnesses those millions of people that gave $27 a head, if they gave that to an ongoing political organization, we change the country. Matter of fact, even if Bernie was elected, that would have to happen. You have to have a mobilization. He's right. Congress isn't going to change until they see the country basically up in arms. Uh, it's only when, you know, if there were a million people that came to the Washington Mall to, to, in support of the financial speculation tax, to support free higher education, mm-hmm. then you can start to move things. When, pe- when politicians start thinking, oh, my God, this is catching on, I might lose, then you can start to change the world. But without that, one person in the White House can't change you know, diddly. Well, uh, there, there, there were these mass movements. Uh, if you look back at uh, what happened, um, uh, you know, uh, with the Roosevelt administration, with Roosevelt himself, and when he was running, there were something like a million members of the Communist Party, uh, tens of thousands of them marching, you know, in the streets. Uh, well, they had mass the 30s uprisings. Was, yeah. You're absolutely right. The 30s were, was alive with activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there were unemployed, unemployment marches of 10, 20,000 in almost every major city in the country. There were these incredible uh, 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 gatherings like uh, to stop evictions. You know, the right. sheriff would come and take people on the street. There'd be 1,000 people there to bring it back. There were, there were other people who were building movements. There was Huey Long. Uh, share the wealth movement that was very popular. He was thinking of taking Roosevelt on in '36, and then he right. was assassinated in '35. But uh, that had a lot of following. There was the Ham and Eggs movement; it was called that. Sinclair Lewis out in uh, was running for governor in California, and he was calling for what became Social Security. Uh, so there, 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 and then there was labor, the sit-down strikes, and then uh, mass organizing all over the country. I mean, things were happening, and and, and that's what moved. Uh, the political system. Uh, look, the civil rights movement moved the political system in the 50s and 60s. I mean, Jim Crow would still be here uh, if, they, if people hadn't mobilized. It wasn't and, and the, you know, anti, the anti-war and movement. The anti-war movement. Yeah. I mean, that was a tough one. Uh, so, the country so, was split right down the middle. So what has and, to happen now, though? Do, do, do things actually have to get as bad as what happened during the Depression? Do they have to get much worse than they are now before people uh, just say, I can't well, stand it? Well, runaway inequality is going to get worse. There's nothing going to stop it. I mean, one of the big themes of my book is that, mm-hmm. you know, there's no pendulum in the economy that's automatically going to make it go away. It's not swinging back and forth. It's swinging in one direction. And the only thing that stops it is a mass movement. So I think that becomes apparent. The fact that people are, are flocking to Sanders' message and that he's so strong with independence, and the young young people, that bodes well for, uh, I think, people kind of like saying, okay, enough's enough. Now, the question is really a question of organization. Look, we had an explosion with Occupy Wall Street, and six months it was gone. Right. You've had, you know, uh, you've now had another boomlet. You had uh, uh, a boomlet with now with uh, Sanders. If it ends uh, with the election, then uh, we're in trouble again. Somebody has to organize this. Uh, 
into, into a movement. I'm trying to build the educational infrastructure. We're training trainers all around the country now. Some unions have put up some serious money. CWA's put up like a million dollars to get this economic message out there. So uh, uh, we're having real good fortune with that. Uh, it, it's kind of spreading. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, flattered that the, the, uh, the book is being used. You know, we, we've moved 30,000 copies. We're printing another 20,000 now. Well, let me, let All me, the money, uh, by the way, doesn't go to me. It, it goes to my institute to continue okay. the campaign. Let me, I'm let not me, getting rich on runaway inequality. <laughs> I didn't think you were. Uh, let me remind people they're listening. You're listening to Les Leopold. And um, he is the founder and director of uh, two nonprofit institutes, uh, Labor Institute and uh, educational organizations, I should say, Labor Institute and Public Health Institute. And uh, he is the author of Runaway Inequality, a book you should all read if you haven't read it yet, Runaway Inequality, an Activist's Guide to Economic Justice. Uh, Bernie is not the kind of guy who would be organizing uh, I mean, do you always do you need a charismatic leader in situations? Well, no, like this? In this case, you need his blessing because the question is who gets the mailing list? Mm-hmm. Who get, uh, and there are a bunch of mailing lists. There's a, a labor for uh, for Bernie list that's got like thirty, forty thousand people on it. Bernie's got you know several million uh, donors, uh, small donors. Some uh, uh, the former president of CWA, Larry Cohn. I know he's working closely with Bernie Sanders. The uh, I know the, the nurses want to do something. Uh, the question is whether people with very large egos can get together after this and form some sort of. I, I would call it. The political revolution, just what he's been calling it, TPR, mm-hmm. or the Progressive Alliance, where we could all join. Everybody should join. Little organizations, big organizations, individuals, everybody join. $27 a year. That, that should be the, the, the membership fee. And I, th- I think we could really change the country if we did that. I, it, look, you see, we've been talking for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. At least six, seven years, right? Since probably yeah. looting of America. Uh, we... We've been talking, and it's it's been tough, right? It, you know, yes. it's, it's been tough to see how we're going to do anything. I'm telling you now, we have a moment we haven't had in a hundred years. We could really build something that would change the country for a long, long time. Look, it took forty years to get us in, the, in this mess. I now see a way out. It's just a question of what. It's a question of organization. It's not going to happen through spontaneous combustion. Not going to happen through Twitter and Facebook. All that can support it, but you need a real organization. We should be able to go to a meeting in Poughkeepsie or Pensacola or Pasadena of the same organization and be able to walk in there and know you're with people that want this uh, uh, simple ten-point agenda and want to fight for it. And this organization is not called the Democratic Party anymore. No, no. The Democratic Party isn't an organization. It's an electoral uh, formation. This is a real organization that fights for an agenda. Uh, we could, I'll bet you we could put together a 10-point a ten agenda that goes all the way from, you know, uh, cutting the prison population in half to, the, to free higher education to universal health care. It wouldn't take that much. And we could all, uh, a majority of the country would agree on it. This whole organization would agree on it. And we can go out and fight for it at a state level, a local level, a national level, 15-hour minimum wage, all that kind of stuff. If we had, if we were organized and had an identity, a common identity, the problem with progressives over the last generation is they got stuck. This is the last chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. They got stuck in silos, issue silos, identity politics silos, and everybody thought their issue was the issue. Uh, and when the crash happened, and you could see there were 
that runaway inequality was connecting all the issues, people still didn't uh, leave their silos. Right. Well, they're leaving their silos now. Either you, leave, either, either you make your silo porous now or you're going to be left behind. No one's going to care about your little single-issue organization anymore because something bigger is going on. This is the moment to build that something bigger. Uh, and people, people, look, people who were not part of the progressive community did occupy Wall Street. And people who are not, I, I think the Sanders supporters are basically like free radicals. They're not part of, of, of this uh, 501c3 culture that's uh, emerged for the last uh, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, there's good people from the environmental communities, good people from all these other communities, uh, criminal justice reform, Black Lives Matter, but they're all separate. Uh, we have to start having a common identity, a common agenda. Not that we give up on our issues, but we have to show how they're well, he uh, connected. Would, I think you mentioned this before. He would, Mr. Sanders here would have to um, find somebody or somebody would have to appear to him <clears throat> to be somebody who could carry on for him because, you know, he's not young anymore. And he, you, need, you don't need an individual. You need an organization. You need a team. Well, the team. This but requires the, a team he, approach. He well, that may be, but, but there's always the head. I mean, in my observation. Right, he's the figurehead now, and then maybe Elizabeth Warren later or somebody else. You know, okay. Look, there's going to be more. She's younger. There's going to be someone behind her. See, once you create uh, an atmosphere for this, then you're going to get smart, ambitious people with good politics, uh, like Bernie, to start figuring, well, you know, I, can, I actually can get someplace if I speak up on this. I'm going to push this forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, there are people all over the country who have Bernie's beliefs, and, you know, this is a big country. We've got a lot of talent. Someone, you know, we'll get people to, to uh, I don't think we're going to have a problem with leadership. We have problems. Our problem is we're disorganized, or we're, poor, we're organized in the wrong way. We're organized kind of like the neoliberal model, everything's separate. Uh, everybody, uh, we need to come together in a more, in a more coherent uh, uh, movement. The political revolution. He's actually he's he's right about that. He's. I'm telling you, the guy's really. Uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, I I'm, I'm very proud of him for adopting my entire book. It's really great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, uh, is he still raising money at the rate he was before? Yeah. I don't know about the rate, but he's raising plenty of money. Yeah. He went to another primary. You know. He, He's going to raise even more money. Uh, well, what primary? West Virginia. He's going to win. He's going to win West Virginia. That's for sure. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then, what about California? What do you think about that? That's t- that's a tougher one. Yeah. I, he wins California. Hillary's going to be wobbling. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you know that's a large Hispanic vote, large uh, uh, African American vote. You know, very diverse state. Uh, if he wins that state, that mean, that means his message really caught on. Is it open primary? I, I don't know. I don't know. God, I, yeah, are, are we, uh, um, should we just take it for granted that, uh, God forbid, he doesn't get to be the one, and it's the same old, same old, and she's the one? Um, we, do we take it for granted that people will do the same lesser of two evils vote that they always do? No, see, I, I would, that's why I want to frame it up different. It's okay. not a question of okay. lesser of two evils. It's a question of what best builds our movement. See, once you postulate that you need a movement to change the country, once you get that clear, then the question is, how do you best build it? It's built best if Trump's not president. Right. right I don't care who the Democrat is. Uh, it's built best. Forget about what she's going to do. She's going to triangulate and be centrist. But we can, we can build our movement and push the whole political system better if it's not Trump. Because mm-hmm. if it's Trump, so many outrageous things uh, he's going to attempt to do, we'll end up being very uh, worried about, like, protecting basic freedoms. 
Mm-hmm. With Clinton, I don't think we have to worry about basic basic freedoms. We have to worry about the neoliberal model, which is exactly what we want to worry about. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make the argument that uh, keep your eye on the movement-building process and get out of that it's just one election that makes a decision. It's building a movement that makes the difference. You know, uh, Reagan couldn't have done anything if it wasn't for this entire kind of, you know, this thing that started with, you know, Goldwater and kept going and going. He became the inheritance of a, uh, inheritor of a of a significant conservative movement that included, you know, all those neoliberals uh, as well. Uh, you know, that wanted to deregulate the economy. And he was he was able to uh, do his thing because both parties had bought a movement had already changed uh, a movement right. of the right had already changed uh, the uh, politics. We have to build. Uh, the political revolution, and it's done better if there's a Democrat. I wouldn't well, even see, mention Hillary's name. It's, it's, it's even a better time to build it uh, than it ever was before, because in fact, uh, on the other side, they're uh, splitting and falling apart and uh, having a civil war. So, what better time would there be to build a movement? But now, uh, where can people get in touch with you, or should they just uh, subscribe to your Huffington Post? Uh, I mean, well, how- I, 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 I'm on Facebook. Okay. Uh, uh, there's a web, uh, we've got a Facebook page called Runaway Inequality. Okay. Uh, I can be reached at lesleopold at aol.com. Uh, I'm, I'm accessible. Uh, okay. The email's also at the, in the back of the book. Uh, you can get the book at, you know, electronically, any place you get electronic books, you can get it, you can order it at your bookstore. If your bookstore doesn't have it, you can get it from Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can get it from our website. We have a website called runawayinequality.org. You can get it there too. Uh, uh, we're trying to provide free shipping to compete with the big boys, but uh, right. we do better. We do better if you get it from us. And, and um, you can, you can, you can, you you have you have a plan and will travel like the old TV show. Yeah, right? no. If you uh, you get a couple hundred people together, I, I'll show up. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going out to, out to Seattle, L.A. Just came back from Omaha, right. Albany. Uh, I've been to Florida like three times for different. Everybody seems to have conferences in Florida. Yeah, uh, I'm going to Chicago. Uh, you know, just getting all over the place. I try to do interviews uh, when I'm out there with the press or whatever. But uh, uh, it's good. I mean, okay. people are really, really digging it, and it's very gratifying. And, and it makes me feel optimistic. And I need to infect you with that. And infect the old radicals with. Uh, uh, the independent no, I'm not, I'm thinkers. Not, I'm not falling away, and uh, you know, I'm not Good. buying what the New York Times is selling. I mean, just because they say, and they're the paper of record, that he's done now, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I mean, I. Good. I mean, I could. T- it was so obvious to me a long, long time ago that uh, basically they work for her, and it's a damn shame. But uh, all right, so we still Bernie is still cooking, and uh, we have Les Leopold here to uh, help him uh, do the cooking. And, uh, get Let's in talk touch. again in the fall when we see we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about where that movement's at. I'll know more. Okay, that's great. Great. Thank you very much. Wonderful talking to you. Thanks for staying well. on so long. Thank you. You too. Okay, uh, that's it for this week. This is Mike Fader, and uh, we'll be back next week. And who knows what we'll be talking about, but I hope it's something that uh, interests everybody who listens. And if you like the program, tell other people about it, too. So Bernie is not out of it. He is not out of it. No reason to give up contributing to him. No reason to uh, to uh, just uh, turn your back on the entire election. He is, as Les said, the best thing that's happened to the Democratic Party in a long, long, long time. Goes all the way back to what happened in the 30s. Okay, thank you very much.
garden You better watch your back Well, I beg your pardon For the state in their track If you walk with Jesus You'll save your soul You gotta keep the devil Down in the hole He's got the fire and the fury Yeah. 